We are in the middle of our James series, and last week we finished up James chapter 2, and where James was talking about faith without deeds is dead, and, uh, and just how faith works, how faith works in our life, how, how, how it functions, how it's able to, um, you know, affect every aspect of our life. Not only does it affect, not only should our faith, our saving faith in God change the way that we live from a moral perspective, but also our faith in the promises of God should change the way that we live and the things that we do as it relates to believing in what God can do for us in the future. So if you believe, like if you believe that God has done something for you, then you will actually live like God has done something for you. Even if maybe um, you, you don't see, uh, you know, that in the, in the natural realm yet. You know, I heard somebody say one time that faith, faith is reaching into the unseen realm of hope and bringing it into reality. It's reaching out into the unseen realm of hope and pulling it into your reality. And that's what faith does. And, and obviously, if we have faith in something, it'll change the way we live. It changes the things that we do and the way we talk. And so, moving on here in the James chapter 3, he kind of moves into a different subject. Like we were saying, I said many times, James, obviously filled with so much practical wisdom for the believer. Uh, it's kind of like the Proverbs of the New Testament, just uh, you know, incredible, even though he expounds a little bit more on some stuff than you, you find sometimes in Proverbs. But some really, really good stuff as we're kind of moving through here uh, for the life of every believer. So let's look real quick in James chapter 3, verse 1. You can kind of read along with me or uh, follow along uh, with somebody next to you if you need to. But it says, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such will... Um, as such, we will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. They are, uh, though they are, are, are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by the very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest it sets aflame by a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the very course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. All right, so James here clearly, uh, these, you know, 13 verses or so, 12 verses here, um, is, you know, talking about the tongue and, and the importance of our tongue and, and, and what the tongue does. And so... 
we're going to talk about this today and just kind of expand, expand, you know, our understanding of what James is talking about, what other scripture has to say about this. Um, you know, occasionally we'll have something go on in our home um, and our kids, well, not like what we decide that they need to do, right? Uh, which happens more often than I would like to happen. And so in this process of dealing with our children and, and kind of giving them directives or telling them that they can't do this or that they have to do this or whatever, there are many times where during this particular process, um, you know, they, they feel the need to voice their displeasure of my decision-making. We'll just kind of put it that way, all right? To which most of the time I don't take too kindly. I don't, uh, you know, every now and then I will debate a little bit if uh, their reasoning is so outlandish. I try to help them see the truth. It's kind of like I explained this, I think, several months ago. I, when, when I was growing up, uh, you know, my, I remember my parents telling me a lot, like when they told me to do something and I said why, they would say because I said so and I, I hated that. So much so that I said when I get older, I'm never going to tell my kids because I said so. And then my kids became teenagers. And then it's like, it's like this, and like I, like I explained it before, they don't really want to know why. They just want me to change my mind. Because even if I tell them a valid reason why, they aren't going like to like it, and they're going to continue to ask why. I can't even tell you, especially my oldest daughter, Jesslyn, she, she will ask why. I will tell her why, and she'll be like, but why? I'm like, I just told you why. Why are you asking why again? I just told you, just tell me why. I'm like, I just told you why. She doesn't really want to know why. Okay? She doesn't really want to know why. She just wants me to change my mind. All right? So then I have to break out the bad line. You want to know why? Because I said so. That's why. It's, it's, it's the thing to end all arguments, right? I mean, it's the thing. Like, you have no comeback for that, you know? Because I said, you know, I mean, unless they want to challenge my authority, which my kids just know that's, that's not where you go, I, you know, uh, it, it, it's an end to all of that. And um, so, anyways, w there will be this verbal exchange between us and and here's the thing. I have a two-year-old now. I've, 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 I've shared some experiences here lately about her. And um, I think more than all of my other three kids combined, she seems to pick up on things that are said around her like, like crazy. Like just, just yesterday, I was sitting in the car, and Crystal was inside buying a birthday present, and I was in the car, and I was waiting in the parking lot, and I was sitting there playing on my phone or something, and I go, oh my gosh, really? And she goes, oh my gosh, really? I mean, this kind of stuff, she will pick it up just like this. So we're, we are just kind of going through our normal interactions around the house, and sometimes when the kids kind of, when they get, um, you know, 
too aggressive with some of their, you know, conversations with us, we will sometimes we'll be like, listen, you better shut your mouth because I'm not dealing with that right now, and you better do what you're told to do, right? So since she picked up this thing now where she goes around, shut your mouth. So anytime her brother or sister actually will say something to her that she doesn't like, she's like, you shut your mouth. We're like, no, no, you can't say that. You're two years old. You're not allowed to say you shut your mouth. Um, and so we've kind of had to, like, retrain her, and now the whole, like, you shut your mouth is kind of, like, leave everybody's vocabulary in the house. Um, because now she's like, goes around telling everybody to shut their mouth. Um, and so uh, it's, it's really, and, and the hardest part about it is disciplining her because it's so funny, right? I mean, you're in here laughing. It's just the way she says it and the face that she gets, and she'll point her finger, you know, and she'll be like, you shut your mouth. And we're just like, how? I can't even, I don't even know. I can't even do anything with this. Like, I have to turn away and smile and bite my lip and to get mad. And then, like, you can't say that. And um, I don't know. It's crazy. So, James here, you know, he's, he's kind of dealing with this, this thing about our tongue and the things that we say out of our mouth. And, um, and he goes on, he says, you know, anybody that can kind of tame the tongue, you can be perfect in, in your life and who you are. You can become perfect just by the ability to, you know, tame the tongue. And so one of the things that we see here as looking through this and as James is talking about the influence of the tongue and the power of the tongue He really addresses two particular sides as it relates to the tongue. And so let's look at this. We're going to break these down. We're going to look at the first thing that he talked about and then the second thing and how this relates to our life. And so here, starting in verse 3, he covers this first. He says, now if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. All right. Now, what is James actually referring to here when he's talking about putting a bit in a horse's mouth? Or he's talking about the rudder of the ship and how, how the bit helps us control the direction that that horse is going to go. And the the rudder of the ship helps control the direction that this massive ship, even though there can be incredible winds and incredible storms that beat up against this ship, it is still directed by this little small rudder where the pilot is able to turn that ship where he wants it to go. That that little thing. And, you know, obviously we, we don't, have a lot of ships like that these days. Now we just got engines back there, but still that little propeller back there, you you turn that wheel or you turn that engine and that propeller will push that boat where the, the pilot wants it to go, even in the midst of a great storm, even in the midst of a great storm. Um, uh, 
you know, I, I certainly, one of the things that I think we, when we look here, um, we see that James is referring to um, the power that the tongue has um, in the direction of our life, the power that the tongue has to steer the course and the direction of our life. And I'm certainly not going to get into what what you would maybe know uh, as like a, a name it, claim it gospel. We probably have all been exposed to the, the name it, claim it theology that exists out there in the church world today. And there's a lot of different opinions about those kinds of things. But, you know, there's, um, there's a lot of uh, theology out there in our world today that, that can get off into error. And then when it gets off into error, we tend to just say, well, just let's just scrap the whole thing. We're just going to throw the baby and the bathwater out because it's all just a big mess. And then what happens is, is because we decide, we just decide to say we're not gonna, we're not gonna have anything to do with this because of this error, then actually we can put ourselves in a position where we discard important principles that are found in God's word. I think some of this has happened even in in Pentecostal circles uh, today, where you know maybe some of the error of the Pentecostal movement of the 80s and 70s and 60s. Uh, maybe in the 90s that we just, you know, people are just like, yeah, I don't want anything to do with that. And so they just say, well, that's just all strange and that's all weird. And these people are all a bunch of fruitcakes and they're just one step away from pulling out snakes. And so we just say, I just don't want anything to do with any of that. And then what happens, though, is that we miss significant parts of the scripture because we've seen error and then we've just decided to dismiss all of it. And so um, we see here. James is actually talking about how your tongue plays a significant role in the course and the direction of your life. Your tongue, the things that you say, the things that come out of your mouth, play a significant role in the course and direction of your life. Just like he was saying, it's like putting a bit in a horse's mouth. It's like, it's like the, the rudder on the back of the ship that even in the midst of great storms, in the midst of great difficulty, even in the midst of great trial, that these, this little thing plays such a significant role in the direction that that boat, that ship goes. And a lot of times we just discard the things that we say out of our mouth as being relatively unimportant. But in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22, it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who eat it, those who love it, will eat its fruit. Those who love it, those who embrace it, those who participate in it will eat its fruit. Those who understand how the power of your tongue, the power of the things that you say, how it affects your life. Um, I have this thing that I do with my boys, and um, they will, you know, kids are just 
sometimes they tell you they can't do stuff because they just don't want to do it. And sometimes they tell you they can't do stuff because they really believe they can't do something. You know what I'm saying? Distinguishing between the two oftentimes can be a little problematic, but it's uh, usually not that hard. Um, But I have this thing that I will... Uh, I will do with them from time to time, and it's always funny because um, it's, you know, it's, they won't even know it's coming, and I'll just kind of zing it out there at them. But they'll they'll be talking about things in their future, or they'll be talking about things that are coming up, and they'll be like, you know what, you know, we're just, um, you know, if, uh, if, like, for example, they'll talk about their basketball team. If such and such doesn't come and play on our team this year, we're just going to be trash. We're going to be terrible. And I will say to them, I'll respond to that, well, it is as you say. And so then they'll say, you know, I just, I can't ever, you know, I just, there's just no way I'm going to be able to get this done. And I say, it is as you say. And then they'll they'll say, you know, there's just no way I'm going to be able to win this. And then I'll respond to them, well, it is as you say. And and then they'll say, you know, I just knew that this was going to happen to me. And I was like, well, it, it is as you say. And they'll be like, stop, Dad. I'm like, but, but you've already determined in your mind that you're going to be something before you've even tried as hard as you can. You know, you've already made a determination in your life. And so I, I bring this thing up all the time that they will talk about these things that they can't do or they talk about these negative circumstances. They talk about negative things that are going to happen in their future because of circumstances that are outside of their control. And every time I'll be like, well, son, it is as you say. In other words, it's going to be exactly what you say it's going to be, all right? And, and so, and while I know that there, there is, you know, you can actually debate that to a degree, and I understand probably where your thoughts go into your mind. It's not like I can stand up here today and be like, I'm going to play in the NBA. It is as I say. I mean, that would be nice if it worked that way, Right? But I could tell you this, though. If I stood up here fully convinced and said, I'm going to play in the NBA, and I kept saying, I kept saying, listen, I promise you that my life will follow what I'm saying, and I will get as close as I physically and possibly can get. But I can assure you this, that if I say I can't play in the NBA, I will never play in the NBA. Even if it is somewhat possible, it will never happen as long as I say it won't happen. All right? Now, maybe you say that's just an impossibility. For, and, and relatively, at this particular point in my life, it is an impossibility for me to play in the NBA. But if I started working out and I started training and stuff like that, okay, all, there's a lot of positive things that would go along in my pursuit of what it is that I would say that I would like to accomplish. And I will get a lot closer to that particular goal by claiming it, saying it, believing it, and walking it out than if I sat here and said I'm never going to do it. And I can keep my head up when I try hard and I give my best, right? So uh, I, I get the fact that there it's, it's, not, it's not foolproof in everything, all right? But it does make a significant difference because I will say this, that you will lose 100% of the battles that you say you cannot win. You will lose 100% of the battles that you say you cannot win. I can't win this battle. You will lose that battle every time. 
You can't win it. As long as you say you can't win, you won't win. Okay? You won't win. You will not do 100% of the things that you say you cannot do. If you say you cannot do it, guess what? You will never do it. You'll never do it. You could say, man, there's no way I could preach the word of God to people. Well, listen, if you say that, it'll come true. You will never do it. You say you can't do it. Say, I can't teach a small group. I can't lead a ministry team. Okay? As long as you say you can't, you won't ever. And guess what? Those words that come out of your mouth are steering the course of your life. Because I would be willing to bet, I would be, listen, I would be willing to bet that 100% of you in here, that if you believed and said that you could preach on a Sunday morning in church, I would be willing to bet that 100% of you in here could eventually do it if you believe that you could and you set out to do it. All right? You say, well, you know, <laughs> public speaking is not my thing, man. I just, uh, guess what? It wasn't mine either. Okay? It wasn't mine either. I could tell you this, all right, my first ever sermon that I preached I, I literally had no idea what I was doing, so much so that I just went to the Christian bookstore and I found a book that gave me sermon outlines and I just took one out of it. I just preached this right here. I didn't know what I was doing. And, uh, and look, and if you know me personally, I am, I am I, I'm not a type A personality. I, I'm not a talker. I'm not somebody... You know, ask my wife, I'm not just, I'm not a chatty, I'm just not. I just don't sit around, I'm just not going to sit around and just run my mouth forever and ever and ever on things. This just not. I, you know, for me, the most relaxing moments in my life are when we sit down and just be quiet. You may get recharged by being around people and talking and hanging out and doing all this. No, no, I get recharged by just, you know, I want to pull away. I want to just kind of decompress and think. That's what, right? As long as you say you can't do something, you'll never do it. As long as you say you can't do it, you'll never do it. You'll never do 100% of the things that you say you can't do. And you'll never win any of the battles that you say that you can't win. So if you say you're always going to be poor, if you say that you're always going to be sick, if you say that you're always going to have trouble, if you say that your relationships are always going to have problems, if you say these things, these things that you say are helping direct the course of your life. And you will always be right there where you say. You will always be there. Okay? Always be there. In the Bible... There are four different types of confession that we find in the Bible. The Jews' confession of sin that we find in the Old Testament, they would go and confess their sins, uh, and they have the sacrifice. We even see this with uh, John the Baptist. He would tell them to confess their sins and be baptized. Then we have the sinner's confession, uh, which is not a confession of sin, but Romans says confess 
Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So a sinner doesn't have to confess all their sins to get saved. Thank goodness. Because sinners don't keep track of it all. And the Bible says the sinner's confession unto salvation is confessing that Jesus is Lord, not a confession of all their sins. Then when we become believers and, <clears throat> and we become followers of Jesus, then we have to confess our sins. Because John says if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you. All right, this is, John was writing this to the, the church. He was writing this to the believers. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you. So as believers, it's important for us that when we sin, that we confess our sins before the Lord. And when we do that, we know that he is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then the last kind of confession is the believer's confession of faith. Hebrews talks about hold fast your profession of faith. Hold fast your confession of faith. All right? It's the thing that you say out of your mouth. Your confession of faith. So last week we talked a lot about how faith works. All right? But faith works by connecting three different areas in our lives. Okay? In other words, in order for faith to really work in our life, it's got to be connected by three different things, right? It's got to be connected by what we think, what we believe, and what we say, all right? What we think, what we believe, and what we say. And they all have to line up, all right? And they all have to line up. And if they don't line up, then there's a breakdown in our faith. If what we think about and what we believe in our heart and what we say with our mouth, if they aren't the same, then there's a disconnect when it comes to our faith. And that's how faith is able to operate in our life. It has to connect. Those three dots have to connect in our life in order for faith to really to work the way it's supposed to do. And if one of those are off, then it messes up all of them. All right? Listen to this. Here's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. It says, for with his mouth speaks, for his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart, all right? So, you ever heard the expression, um, you know, what's in the well is going to come up in the bucket, right? All right? Um, or maybe the King James Version might help, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what is in your heart, what is in your heart, and we're not talking about the physical organ here, understand, okay, when the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about the core, the center, the heart of man, the center of man, which is your spirit. So what you believe in your spirit, okay, what you believe will actually come out of your mouth. So what you actually believe in your heart is going to come out of your mouth, all right? So you, you have to understand that if you are saying something with your mouth, then it is reality that you believe in it in your heart, even if you say, well, that's not true. I don't believe in that because you know that what you believe in is contrary to what God's word has to say. The fact of the matter is, is that if what you say with your mouth contradicts the word of God in your life, what you believe in your heart is contradictory to the word of God too. Because what comes out of your mouth is going to be in your heart. Okay. For from his heart... From the heart of man, from, the, from his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. And then in Proverbs chapter 23, 7, it says this. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. 
saying, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. So as we think about ourselves, okay, as we think about ourselves and those thoughts fill our heart, okay, what is being filled in our heart is going to come out of our mouth, okay, and then it begins to set it into motion. It begins to set it into motion. You think about how God's word works in your life. God's word works, okay, uh, uh, it's in his word through our lips, okay, and you think about this, this happens in every aspect of God's word, you think about it, all right? So when God says that he wants people to be born again and he wants people to be saved, what does he do? God's not willing that any should perish but all that would come to everlasting life. So because God wants everybody to be born again, what does he do? He tells you to go into all the world and preach the gospel by his word. Through your lips. Right? And then when you preach the gospel, people get saved. By his word, through your lips. By his word, through your lips. Okay? We have to be people who go and speak. It's, his, it's the great command. It's the great commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Okay? And then the Bible says that when we do this, when we go and preach that the word of God comes through our lips and we preach the word, it says that we will cast out demons, we will heal the sick, we will raise, all of these things, the signs will follow those that believe and do what God tells us to do. You don't even realize the power that God has given us with our tongues, the things that we say out of our mouth. And this is the reason why James is highlighting this so significantly. He says that your tongue is like a little rudder. Your, your life is the ship. And where you go is determined by that little rudder in your mouth, your tongue. And it has the power to steer the course of your life. It has the power to steer the course of your life. The second thing that James, a second part of the issue with the tongue that James highlights here in verse 6, he says, and, and the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. So let's talk about fire for a second. All right. Um, fire has tremendous positives, does it not? Does not fire have tremendous positives? Um, you can you can use it to cook. Um, you can use it to keep warm. You can use it to purify. Um, you can use it to. Um, get rid of waste or garbage. Um, there's many things that we can use fire for, all right, that are positive things in our life. But fire um, is not exclusively positive. Um, it's also can um, have, you know, 
devastating, produce devastating destruction in our life. And because uh, it can kill, it can destroy, it can ruin homes, it can cause severe pain and distortion to the body. Um, there's lots of things that fire can do to bring uh, just devastating results to our life. I remember hearing a story one time about Jeannie Mayo, who was, um, she's still around today. She's probably not as well known as she was back in uh, the 90s and the early uh, 2000s. She was kind of the youth pastor of youth pastors back in the day. When you were a youth pastor, you kind of kind of followed what she did. She, had, uh, she was in a church up in Rockford, Illinois, where she had 1,000 teenagers in her youth group. And the church only ran a thousand people. I mean, it's just it was phenomenal um, the ministry that she had up there, reaching teenagers and how effective she was at making disciples. She told a story one time about these two girls that she had in her youth group that were kind of known for gossip and um, spreading rumors and saying things that shouldn't be said. And uh, she knew them well. And so she invited both of them to go out one day with her to hang out. And so she took them out to a park, was hanging out with them, then decided to do this interactive uh, thing with them. And really it was kind of like, look, I, you know, I'm going to be Jesus in your life. I want to kind of, I want to open your eyes to something real quick. And they were out there in this park. It was a windy day, and she took two pillows out of her car, and she gave one to each of the girls. And she gave them some scissors. She said, all right, listen, uh, here's what we're going to do. It's going to be fun. We're going to cut these pillows, and I want you to take the pillows and just get all the feathers. We're just going to spread them around and let the feathers just go everywhere. Like, I don't know, it's littering, I guess, but uh, or feathers. I don't know, is, is our feathers, I, you know. So sure enough, they did it, and they're throwing this pillow around, and the feathers are blowing off into the wind. Just everywhere. And they're just having a good old time with that. She says, all right, listen now, I want you to go pick them all up. Uh, and, of course, uh, they thought she was kidding at first. And I guess she somewhat was. But her point was just like feathers in a wind, um, so do the power of your words have. Because when you say something, you can't get that back. You can't get it back. Um, I've seen other illustrations before. It's dumb stuff we used to do in youth ministry where you take a, um, a thing of toothpaste and you would tell them to get all the toothpaste out of the toothpaste as fast as possible to be a competition. And then you would tell them they got to put it all back in. It's like, can't do that. That's what happens, though, when... That when we when we say something, it's gone. It's in the wind. It's in the wind. And you can't get it back. And even if you go and apologize to the person that you said something about, it still has had effect on other people. It still has affected and caused destruction in, in many different ways. And even when you apologize, uh, sometimes even a simple apology and even the person saying, I forgive you, doesn't necessarily 
uh, make everything whole again immediately. Because sometimes there's a, maybe a, I lose trust in that person. Or maybe, um, you know, they're just not friends anymore. I'm not feel as close anymore. Or I begin to really wonder if that's really the way that they think about me or, or whatever, right? Fire, just like the, the, the words that come out of our mouth and the things that we say, just like fire, can have devastating effects on things around us. Not only is it an issue of directing the course of our life, it's also an issue of, of, of fire management in our life and devastation in our life. Um, and so uh, we have to learn discipline in our speech. I heard actually this week as I was kind of just doing some study and some research stuff, I just heard this funny quote from a, a pastor. Mike, if you, you, you can come if you will. Uh, he says, uh, you, you can't really tell who, who's truly a Christ follower in church. You can't really tell who the true Christ followers are in church. But if you join the parking team, you'll find out real quick. If you join the parking team, you'll find out real quick. Because the true test of your faith is not in worship. The true t- test of your faith is in the parking lot, Right? I love Jesus as far as it is that somebody, you know, cuts in front of me. You know, then my love for Jesus, that whole, like, worship thing, you know, then we'll, you know, we'll let it fly. We'll say all kinds of mean, nasty things. You really, you can't really tell who's a true Christ follower in, our, in church because, come on, just, you know, it's like we come on, we put on our happy face. We got everything together on Sunday mornings, all right? The true test of our ability to follow Christ is not who you are right now. It's who you are when you walk out of this place. You'll sing the birds out of trees here in here. You'll sing all the worship songs. You'll raise your hand. You might even jump up and down a little bit, okay? You'll, you'll be so kind and so nice to everybody. But let somebody cross one of your kids. Let somebody pull out in front of you. Let there be something happen that you don't like. We change the color of the carpet. We sing a song that you don't like. Or I don't know. Maybe you, you leave and you deal with people at work. And then all of a sudden, man, Jesus ain't nowhere to be found because we're saying all kinds of crazy stuff. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So James, man, he, he, he drives home this, this idea here. Um, about how important it is for us to watch over our tongue, not only from a faith perspective, but also from this issue of devastation. Look, could, let's be honest, man. The tongue alone is responsible for a significant amount of devastation in the church. In the church, the tongue alone is responsible for a significant amount of devastation in the church. And I think that that's sad. You know, in our world today, when we're kind of doing life in, in the natural, if we go a, a, a period of time in the natural where there is no rain, then the city or the local municipalities will, what do they do? They put out a, a burn ban, 
right? No more burning. You can't burn. And then so much so that you, you get in big trouble if you start burning fires during the burn ban seasons. Because they know, man, that everything is dry, that the water's not there. And it doesn't take much, man. It doesn't take much for sometimes that fire to get away from you. And the next thing you know, man, it's burning, you know, it's, you know, they're having to call out the National Guard and all kinds of people. It's like crazy and stuff. You've seen the forest fires that they get set in, you know, California and some of these places where things, man, they get out of control. It gets out of control. I think that uh, spiritually speaking, sometimes we need to put burn bands in our life, right? Put a spiritual burn band. That maybe, maybe in certain seasons of my life, I probably shouldn't talk as much. You know, like during the dry seasons when, um, when you pray and you worship and God doesn't seem to be there, when you ask him to do something in your life and he just not seeming to do it, and the more you pray, the further you feel like God is from your life, maybe those are the moments in our life where we should just sit and not say anything. Because how many of you know it's tempting to say, where are you, God? You don't love me? Why aren't you doing such and such for me? Why aren't you filling this need? Why aren't you providing this for me? I have prayed, I have asked, and you say pray and you'll answer, and I'm not getting an answer. Where are you? And then we start questioning things about the Bible. We start questioning God and his goodness, and we start having all kinds of questions, and we start saying stuff out of our mouth. And God's not ever going to come through. And God's not going to heal me. He's not going to deliver me. He's not going to do this. He's not going to do that. And we say things with his mouth in these moments, these, these dry seasons of our life, and we don't even realize, okay, that you're saying them in the wrong season, okay? And because of that, it's adding fuel to the fire, and it becomes really easy for you to walk down a theological path that is not lined up with God's word. And then you wonder why, when you're way off over here, and you don't believe what God's word has to say, you wonder why God is now not doing anything in your life. Maybe, maybe seasons when we're going through trials, huh? maybe the, the seasons of trials, we should just stop saying some things. I'm never going to overcome. I'm never going to get past this. This is going to ruin my family. This is going to ruin my kids. This is going to ruin my marriage. This is, maybe we should... Maybe we should just stop saying something, some things. Maybe, maybe in the season of personal conflict, when you are having personal issues with somebody, whether it's a, a coworker, a boss, and, um, you know, a, a friend or a family member, and, and there's a conflict, maybe you should realize, listen, that your tongue is a fire, and if you say something in the wrong season, especially the wrong thing, You'll never be able to get those things back. You'll never be able to get them back. And James warns us, warns us about the devastating effects that our tongues can have in our lives. And we need to listen. We need to listen. And we need to take heed, listen to the warning, and understand that the power of life and death are in the tongue. You can speak and bring death to your life, to your relationships, to your future, to everything that you hope for. 
or you can speak and bring life. And sometimes the things you speak need to be things that are filled with faith. Okay, and remember, faith sometimes looks really stupid. It just does. Faith sometimes just looks dumb. But it needs to be seasoned with grace and faith, the things that come out of our mouth. Will you stand to your feet this morning?